0: Good morning everybody. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. I hope you're having a great weekend. I'm really thankful you chose to include gathering for worship as part of your weekend. I'm just really glad we're together. Whether we're here in the room or we're online, I'm just glad we're together and ready to open God's word. Amen. Really looking forward to it. So uh, let's get started. Uh, There are, in case you didn't know it, 47 verses In the New Testament, that's the last half of the Bible that is written about Jesus and written to followers of Jesus. There are 47 verses in the New Testament instructing Christians about how to live with and care for one another. Here's most of them in a nutshell. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Don't envy one another. Patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Be devoted to one another. Love one another. Comfort one another. Bear with one, bear with each other, and forgive one another. Honor one another. Seek good and not revenge for each other. Don't complain against one another. Confess sins to one another. Serve one another. Don't judge one another. Don't make one another stumble. Don't die. Don't don't die. Don't lie to one another encourage and build up one another, urge one another toward love and good deeds, pray for one another, be hospitable to one another. We're going back to the basics in this series. And so far, we've taken a fresh look at things like prayer and the Bible. And today we're covering a basic of the faith that will just blow your mind. When God dropped this thought in my brain, I was like, man, whoa. And here it is. It goes like this. We can't one another by ourselves. That's pretty profound, right? <laughs> this, this is a joke. This, this is the joke part, right? Yeah, I mean, this is deep stuff, right? We can't one another by ourselves. So it may not be as deep as that, but it is deeply important. It is an absolute basic of our faith. Maybe this is a better way to put it. We live life in Jesus together. We live life in Jesus, which is what we're all aiming for. Life in Jesus. We live that life together. Now, the other day at our staff meeting, we read one of these one another commands from Romans chapter 12. Something about loving one another and outdoing one another in showing each other honor. And guess what? We got the whole thing on video. So take a look. Oh, that was so much fun. So much fun. We take these one another's seriously here at Outlook. Absolutely. Uh, That was so much fun. Uh, What have we talked about so far in this series? We've talked about how we should embrace our relationship with God and enjoy it, that we should get into the scriptures and feed on them. And today we're going to do a deep dive into finding our tribe, our people, our church family, really putting down roots and learning to love each other well. Now we're going to spend our time in Colossians chapter 3. You can open your Bible app to Colossians 3 starting in verse 12. Open your Bible if you've got that with you. If you don't own an easy to read copy of the Bible, we'd be happy to give one to you. You can grab one off those carts in the back. There's another card in the commons. Write your name in that. Take it home with you and make it yours to keep. We'll be on page 806 in those Bibles. Now, In this passage, Paul is writing to these Christians and he has just laid out basically this idea that since you have new life in Christ, and that's what we're all cultivating here in our own, uh, in our church and in our own hearts, this new life in Christ that we've talked about uh, and that you're in him and he is in you. He says, since that's true, therefore, now we're going to start in verse 12, therefore, because that's true as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. What's this mean? It means that God has chosen to show his love to humanity, and we have chosen to say yes to that gift, that we are dearly loved by him. That's the definition of what it means to be a Christian, really. We are people who have accepted the gift of his love and are spending our lives coming to know more and more just how loved we really are. We're not people who've got it all together. We're not people who've got it all figured out. Can I get an amen? We are simply people who have come to understand and then are spending the rest of our lives just continuing to deepen our understanding of just how much we are dearly loved. That's who we are. And Paul says, therefore, as God's people, holy and dearly loved, you have uh, an opportunity to love each other. The new birth that we talked about a few weeks ago means we get a new family. We are born, not just reborn as uh, followers of God, not just reborn as in our spirit is now awakened and we get to understand what it's like to have a relationship with God, as beautiful as that is. When we are reborn, we are reborn into a new family. We can't get around it. We might as well embrace it. And we need it. I need it, and you do too. This new family. Now, maybe you've heard someone say, maybe you've even said it yourself at one point or another, you know what, you can be a Christian and not go to church. And I'll allow for that. But let me say, my experience teaches me that you'll end up a Christian whose growth is stunted, whose obedience to the Scriptures is limited, and whose enjoyment of the faith as it's meant to be lived out is, is a fraction of what it could be. We're talking about the church today. Not just the church as a concept, but the church is the people that we worship with and do life with. I'm talking about our church, any church, a local church. We're partners with each other. We're not just people who happen to go to the same church. We're a family and we're a force for good. In fact, when you think about the people who would have originally heard or read these words from the Apostle Paul, the concept of being a church member who simply attends a worship service every week or every few weeks would have been completely foreign to them, and rightly so, because they said yes to Jesus, and when they did, they realized, I need, I will cling to, I need in my life, other Jesus followers, to help me navigate this life in Christ in this world in which we live. And I don't really think that's any less true for us now than it was for them then. Christ didn't die on that cross and rise from that tomb so we can add church attendance to our list of weekly things to do. When it comes to the church, we need this and we need each other every believer is saved to grow and to serve God with a band of brothers and sisters and not just behave like consumers who are shopping for a place that will give them all the feels that they're looking for we're talking about partnership right partnership in each other's discipleship partnership in the gospel a bond that is deep because disciples need each other and that's what we're aiming to be Disciples of Jesus. So as we walk in our renewed commitment to Christ, as we renew it each day, each week, we cannot do that alone. We must not walk alone. So I'm telling you this morning, don't go solo. It's all too common, but it doesn't work. We might convince ourselves that it will, or we, we can get away with it, or we'll just be fine, just us and Jesus. We're just going to do this life just us and leave everyone else out. But at least three things happen when we make that choice. We end up relying only on ourselves to grow and to be sharp in our faith. We don't have anyone else to sharpen us. I need you and you need me and we need each other to sharpen ourselves in the faith, to to help ourselves grow in character. And so step back from self-sufficiency, one of the tenants of our uh, kind of society's cultural religion today, right? Self-sufficiency. Step back a little bit from that and realize that there's actually power in unity, power in life together, power in relationship with each other, power to grow, power to be the people God is calling us to be. Another thing happens when we merely attend, which is a fantastic place to start, but not the best place to stay, merely attending, But when we just do that, man, it kind of leads to that consumerism I mentioned, kind of a takeout mentality. Our faith stays shallow. We don't really put down roots, and we don't grow. And when we make that decision to try to do things ourselves, the cause of Christ is weakened. Not only does our faith in God suffer apart from the family of God, but friends, hear this, the family of God suffers apart from you. And I mean you. I don't mean that other church member down the row or in the few rows ahead or behind. I'm talking about you. We all suffer apart from you. You're a blessing. You're a part of the family when you say yes to Jesus. And we all need, all of us, each other. If learning what it means to be a part of a church family is something that's interesting to you, then you continually hear us talking about this thing that we call starting point happens once a month in the room adjacent to the cafe there during second service. Once a month, this next one will be on the 11th of September. It's a chance just to get together and learn a bit more about our church, ask questions, meet a few other people. It's always a good time. And you'll always hear us talking about it. It does happen every month. If Learning more about a church home, what it means to be a part of a church here at Outlook, uh, part of this church, we'd love to talk to you about that. That's a starting point. It happens every month. So always another one coming around. So that's what we're talking about today, the beauty of being a part of a church family. Now, Paul is saying here, you're God's people, you're dearly loved by him, and because that's true, do this. And he begins to paint a beautiful picture of what life in a local church can look like. And he begins with this, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We can't clothe each other in all those things. I have to choose to clothe myself in this way. With the help of the Lord, this is how my character can grow. These are the real church clothes that we need, right? Not a a suit and tie, not a dress, not super, super spiffy, whatever. These are the church clothes that we need. Clothe yourselves with virtues such as these kindness and humility, compassion and patience. And see, the fact is, I simply won't clothe myself this way. I won't put on these virtues. I won't understand or appreciate the importance of such virtues if I'm just doing life by myself. What do I need? I need you. I need other people to remind me of the kind of person I need to be. And don't I need that too? Don't I need for the sake and the health of my own soul to be a more humble person? or a more patient person, or a kinder, more compassionate person? And doesn't this world need me and more and more of all of us to grow in exactly these virtues? When we look at our world today, couldn't we stand to have a lot more of these virtues in us, in each other? Don't our kids need this? Don't we need this from our leaders? Don't we need this from each other? We do. We do. Verse 13, Paul goes on, bear with each other. That means put up with each other, right? Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Another uh, translation puts it, make allowance for each other's faults. Doesn't that sound good? Cut each other a little slack. Give each other a little room. Someone's going to get bent out of shape. Someone's going to get sideways on something. Give them some space to get themselves straightened out and maybe, maybe play a role in praying for them, talking with them, loving them to help them get some things straightened out. Bear with one another. Put up with each other. Hang in there with each other. And when you need to, and you will, forgive one another. Forgive one another. Church is hard, friends. Let me tell you, been part of churches my whole life. Church can be a mess. I'm not going to lie. Church takes work and church can get on our nerves. People can get on our nerves. Why? Simple, super simple. Church is family. And that's what family's like sometimes, right? We all know that's true. And church is family, but it's worth it. In case we didn't get that first thing quite clear, Paul um, reiterates and puts it in perspective, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So well when you put it that way, right, it's a little easier to begin to put ourselves in the path of forgiveness. This idea of giving each other grace, of of holding each other accountable, of telling each other the truth, but all wrapped in this idea of forgiveness and grace and that we're heading always toward relationships that are stronger, not weaker. Forgive as the Lord forgave you because that's exactly how the Lord is treating you. Grace, forgiveness, overlooking sins, ready to receive uh, apology and repentance. We also should do the same for each other. We are learning love from the Lord and he's teaching us how to love each other. Verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Man, love completes the outfit, right? Love is the thing that brings all those other virtues together and all those other virtues thrive when we're pursuing and cultivating in our own hearts and souls the virtue of love. See, I can't get away with not loving. If I am saying yes to Jesus on a day by day, basis, if I'm submitting myself to him and all my wrongs and all my wrongheadedness and all of my uh, ways that I need to improve, if I'm submitting that to him and I'm walking with him, man, that dude is love. Jesus is love embodied. And if I'm going to spend any time near him, and if you do the same, I'm telling you, I'm warning you, he's going to constantly nudge me, the spirit of Christ living in our hearts, constantly nudge me toward loving other people better toward being more patient with them, being kinder, having some compassion, trying to put myself in their shoes, trying to forget my own opinions for a second and and try to understand where someone else is coming from. Jesus is going to help me do that all the time. And if I stay near him, that's the kind of person he's constantly going to try to form me to be. I can't get away with not loving. I can't get away with keeping my distance. I can't get away with writing people off. Man, we don't do that and we don't do that to each other, certainly. We're brothers and sisters in Jesus. Man, a church is a lab where you learn how to love. It's a lot of other things, but it's certainly that. So healthy disciples, man, understand that these one another's we talked about earlier, they're not optional. They are community building commands. We see them as essential. We don't see them as something that, well, maybe I'll get around to some of those, or, or I got a couple of those down. Isn't that good enough? We begin to see them as the operating system for how human life works, and certainly how the church works. If in some sense we are tasked as a, as a local church to learn how to build up each other, and to learn how to build a strong church, which is all our jobs, then these one another's are absolutely the specs, the blueprint, the plan, the the way to see that happen, the girders and the beams that you cannot leave out, the footers and the foundation that, if not poured well, wreck the whole building. These one another's, man, there's not a single one that's optional or kind of like, well, I hope someone else does that for me, but I don't know if I'm gonna get around to doing it for them, right? They are community-building commands. They are a wise prescription for how to live the God life. And let's face it, when we really start to think about it, think about that list. These one-anothers, they're not realized through casual association, through a handshake or a wave on Sunday morning, as nice as those can be to receive. They go deeper. These one-anothers, man, they push into the everyday, which is what discipleship to Jesus is meant to do. And so we must push into the everyday. We must go ahead and embrace and realize, oh, I guess this Jesus thing is not just going to be something I can kind of check off and then go about my business. It is wanting to change me from the inside out. And I don't know where I need changed most (laughs) or where Jesus changes show up most most evidently than when I'm treating people in a new and better way. That's where it really shows up. In my patience or lack of patience in my forgiveness or lack of forgiveness. Those are the areas where I really see the most Jesus activity in my life. And besides, when we think about it, no one appreciates just surface stuff, right? When we keep things just at the surface, we don't appreciate that in in each other. We usually don't even appreciate it in ourselves. And nowhere could that be more true than in the life of faith and the walk with God. If anything should go deeper, it should be that, right? And none of this stuff is necessary. If we're just going to keep up appearances, try to be religious, or keep ourselves categorically from missing heaven, these one another's and these each other's of the Bible can't really be achieved in just the worship service. But we also need those small groups you heard Amy and Zach talking about in the video. That's why we center so much of what we do here around groups. We love Sunday morning, sitting in rows, receiving teaching, taking the bread in the cup, having the chance to, to praise in song. These are beautiful and biblical opportunities that we should provide every single week, and we do. But we also recognize that's half the equation. And in the scriptures, we see the early Christians also making sure that they're getting together in ways in which they're known and can uh, they know and can be known, they love and can be loved, that there are people that they know by name, that they're supportive, accountable community to support their relationship with Jesus. It's a both and, and both are vital to what we're talking about this morning. passage goes on, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So he's talking about how we treat each other Now he's saying, now watch this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, that's the church. Throughout the scriptures, we see the church described as a body. We are members of this body, and it's one body. You were called to peace, and be thankful. This defines us, this peace that flows between and through us. That word's used twice there, in the Greek, it's the same word that is in the Hebrew, what you might a word you might be familiar with, shalom. It, in this context of the biblical use of this word peace, it means far more than just calm circumstances, right? This word, when I w- if I were to bless you or pray peace upon you, if I, if I proclaim shalom to you as a greeting or as a prayer or as a blessing, I am asking God to give you fullness of heart, that you're whole and healthy from your body to your spirit, that you have peace with God, that you have peace with others, and that you have peace with yourself. It's a holistic word, and it's a beautiful word. And this is the kind of peace that's meant to reign and rule and flow between us, in us and between us, as members of one body. It's a healthy thing. Over 80 years ago, Harvard University began a study about what makes a good and happy life. Now, that study, and it has since grown and partnered with other studies to create a vast trove of uh, rich data, Uh, It asked people every year of their lives, for decades, a bunch of questions about the conditions of their lives, the habits of their lives, the quality of their lives. And consistently, the number one factor for a happy, healthy, and often longer-than-average life was not whether or not someone smoked or watched their weight or abused alcohol, although all three of those things were right near the top of the list. The number one factor was and is meaningful relationships. Meaningful relationships. Whether or not they existed in someone's life was the number one factor of whether or not holistically they were going to live a healthy, happy, and even longer than average life. Loneliness has been shown to be comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's what it does to us physically, That's what it does to our earthly longevity. A study in 2018 found that 48% of Americans felt alone, and 43% felt their relationships were not meaningful. Now, those are some sobering statistics, and maybe you can even relate. Right, loneliness is a serious thing and one that we uh, need to take seriously. But the beautiful thing is that the good news of Jesus—what makes it so good—is not only that we get to spend uh, eternity in heaven with God, not only that we get to spend our lives with Him here on earth, that we've been forgiven of our sins, but we get. The church, when loneliness and a lack of meaningful relationships is its own epidemic, the answer to the idea that 48% feel alone or 43% feel their relationships aren't meaningful, the answer to both is Christ and His church. It's a gift. God knew what He was doing when He puts us in this family called the church. We need not be alone. There are meaningful relationships ready to be formed and enjoyed in church. This is simply what we see in these studies. It's simply how humans are created. We suffer without it. We thrive with it, these meaningful relationships. And so it's not hard to see why God made the church. You say yes to Jesus, you begin to live life as your creator intended it. The very first thing he does after he saves our soul, right? Cleanses us of our sins. He says, guess what? You got a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. I got a church. It's, a, it's your new family. And there's no hesitate, no hesitancy in giving us that family. Now you may hear those stats and you may think, man, meaningful relationships, I'm out of luck. I'm unmarried or my marriage is rough or my kids are far away or I don't have any kids or I don't have many close friends or on and on. All the things that might come to your mind when you think of meaningful relationships, you might take an inventory and feel like you might be in one of those troubled categories. Many of us have been at different times in our lives, so I want you to hear this, friend. You have the church. You have the church. God gave us the church. He gave us each other, and it is a precious gift. When we keep ourselves from being known and loved, we set ourselves up for a disaster and unnecessary misery, and I've seen it again and again. Passage goes on, almost finished here. Verse 16, let the message of Christ not just the peace of Christ, but now the message of Christ, the truth of Christ dwell among you richly. This is what we talk to each other about. This is how we encourage each other, the goodness and the truth, the teachings of Jesus, or or what, what we instruct each other on. The peace of Christ rules in our hearts, and then the message of Christ dwells Among us, we believe that doing life together is a beautiful and necessary thing because we're partners in each other's discipleship. That This message of Jesus has landed on me. It's landed on you. And now we dialogue with each other about it. No matter our personality, introvert, extrovert, whatever, as we grow in Christ, we find a desire to be sharpened by other disciples. We realize we're missing something when we don't have that. It's something we need. And so Paul says here, let that message uh, dwell among you richly. And now here's, what, how, here's how that happens. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. It's a beautiful reminder that our faith has been a singing faith since day one. It's absolutely part of who, uh, who we are and what we do. Even if you, as you discovered in that video, I'm not a very good singer, but you're still supposed to sing. Right? And we teach and admonish one another. We counsel each other. We bring up truth to each other and urge each other toward obedience and sharpen each other. What that means is we got to decide who we surround ourselves with. This is a a thing we might not think of as much as we used to, and now if you're an adult. Students, if you're with us this morning, you might have heard your parents say, choose your friends wisely. It's very good advice, but what we adults can sometimes lose sight of is that it's, it, that advice does not lose its relevance the older we get. In fact, it really never loses its relevance. We got to decide who we surround ourselves with, who gives us counsel. We need to choose our crew carefully, thoughtfully, prayerfully. It's been said that each of us is generally the average of those we most closely surround ourselves with. I bet that's probably true, millennia ago, Proverbs says, walk with the wise and become wise. A companion of fools will suffer harm. We often approach this kind of thing a little casually, maybe even somewhat randomly. Who who happens to be the people who are closest to us in life? And it's good to be friendly to as many people as possible, but we also must be wise in choosing our close friends, the people with whom we're going to walk through life. And this is where I say again, get to the church. Get to the place where others who are walking the Jesus way can walk that way with you and you with them because that way is the way to life and every other way is not. See, prayer and scripture, they're vital, right? We talked about the last couple weeks. Doing those things with others, man, that brings new vitality. So what have we seen this morning? First, we've seen a core truth. Christianity works in community. In fact, it only works that way, really. We've run into a core reality. We become like the people we're connected with. And so that leads us to a conclusion, a core conclusion, that we've got to group together. We've got to form up. We've got to do these one another's. We need it for ourselves, and we need it from each other. That's why we provide and put so much energy and effort into providing to doing groups who do exactly that. So... I hope I've given you some food for thought this morning, inspired you to stay with it if you're already connected to church and in a group, and maybe persuaded you to give it a fair try if you're not, because there is power in living that kind of connected life. It's maybe more profound than we realize. We can't one another by ourselves. We live life in Jesus together. Let's think about that as we grab the bread and the cup here. If you were able to get one on your way in, I just invite you to take that into your hands here. As we think about what we've been talking about here this morning, every Sunday when we come together and take the bread and the cup, we are figuratively at least coming to a table. We're we're bringing to mind that table in the upper room when Jesus was there reclining with his disciples the night before he went to the cross. And and so we, we we pull up to that table ourselves too. And as all of us do, we realize it's a family table. It's a table long and wide, full of our brothers and sisters. Before we ever were here and all the Christians who are alive today, all brothers and sisters at this one table, sharing this one meal each week, remembering our one Lord and Savior, that we're brothers and sisters in him. It's a beautiful thing to think about. Sometimes we we might say blood is thicker than water, but that means that my blood family might be the thickest bond that I have here on earth, but in a moment like this, we're reminded that Jesus' blood is thicker than both, and that he gave that blood for us, his church, and that that bond from our deep within our spirit, is really the deepest bond that any two humans can have. People who are aimed to the same Lord, saved by that same blood. In Ephesians 5, it says that Christ loved the church and he gave his life for it. That's us. Let's thank him for that by taking this bread, which represents his body, given for us. And the cup as well reminds us just how much He loved the church and loves the church by giving His blood, His life for us. Let's take and drink and thank Him for it. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank You. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for teaching us how to love. And so, Lord, this gift that you've given us of the church, of our local church, of our family. Lord, help us to appreciate it again for all of its challenges or for all of the ways that it tests us and all the ways that it blesses us and helps us and supports us. Lord, we we accept it all and we thank you for it all. In it, you are teaching us patience. In it, you are teaching us kindness and compassion. You're teaching us love. Lord, let us be both excellent givers and excellent receivers of that love. And Lord, help us to put down our roots. Help us to say yes to you and yes to your whole family, the church. In your name we pray. Amen.